We're going to move straight into our time of communion, and we're going to do things a little differently today. We have four stations set up around the room, two in the front, two in the back, uh, and we're going to be singing a song, Come As You Are. We encourage you to come during that song. Uh, come meet God. Come meet Jesus' sacrifice at one of these four stations. Uh, take your bread, take the cup, and take it back to your seat. After uh, the song is finished, I'll actually come up and do our scripture reading, and then we'll have a moment of silence after that. So again, a little different feel. Uh, just really let the message of this song, let them, uh, and then the, the following verses to really sink in with you this morning. We'll be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. One day, as he saw crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is it, or what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled under the foot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone else in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father.
Everyone that's led in worship so far through song and word has brought us into a beautiful place in the presence of God, and I'd like us to just continue there for a moment. So keep your head down, focus on your Father. While we do that, we bring this morning into the presence of God the Upoff family. Chad lost his dad this past week. Pray for Chad and Katie and their kids as they adjust to the loss of a man, 71 years old, a man they call dad and grandpa. Bringing to the presence of God today Eileen Miller's brother, Tim, had major surgery this past week and is slow in the recovery. Pray for encouragement, healing, hope. Pray for my wife, Kim's dad. Had a bad week. He's already lived two years longer than doctors said. But he wants to make it two more weeks to get to his grandkids' dear wedding. Pray him through. There is a burden, a heartache, a loss <clears throat> that you carried into this room today. Hold it in your hands and lift it into the presence of God right now.
Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to crawl up into your lap this morning, to be present with you, to talk to you, to share our burdens with you, to just lay our heads on your chest and know you are God. We thank Jesus for making all of that possible. It is not our goodness that brings us here today, but his. Amen. We started a new teaching series last week called The Seven Deadly Needs. Needs are normal. I mean, they're part of human existence, right? Desires are given to us by God. They're what drive us. They keep us going. Without desires, we wouldn't have a reason to move on. But our desires and our needs, while good, while given by God, can be hijacked by the darker side of our nature. They can be subverted and perverted to the point that they are no longer helping us. Uh, no, they're, they're actually hurting us. They're doing damage to us. They're, they're killing our souls. Last week, we started with the need to know. Just that, that obsession, I've got to know. There is more to this than the normal pursuit of knowledge, and it's, it's an obsession with gathering information because it is believed that information brings control and it brings power, and the more we know, the more we can be our own God. We fall for the lie that the serpent told in the garden. The fruit God is withholding from us would place us on an equal plane with him, and so we start to believe that knowledge, that, that forbidden fruit, will make us like God. We can finally be in control of our own life. Today we're going to move on to the need to be right. Now I suspect that many of you when, you, when you heard this particular topic coming up, you were tempted to invite some guests, right? You know someone who is always, always right. They might come in the form of a 15-year-old child, a college sophomore, a newbie on the job. You know, you've been there, you're 50, and there's this 22-year-old who just graduated and knows everything. A mom, a dad, a sibling, a spouse, you name them. You know someone that just is always, always right. They, they, they're right. But it's not just that they're right. They need to be right. They seem deflated and defeated when they're proven wrong, even on the most inconsequential factoid. It just bugs them. They need to be right, and it's an obsession. When I was a kid, I lived in a city named North Tonawanda. A lot of you know that. Tonawanda is a Tuscarora Indian term, meaning confluent stream. Ironic that now I live in Shanahan, where the waters meet. I just kind of have this life theme going. Well, as a kid back in the day, before you went to school in kindergarten, you had to learn a few things. You need to know your address. You need to know your phone number. It was even good to know mom and dad's name. I know, I was a five-year-old with an iPhone that could just, you know, hit the... No, we had to know those things. Well, you can imagine the daunting task when your mom says, you live in a place called North Tonawanda, New York. Are you kidding me? I got to memorize that? I mean, two words, 14 letters, that was pretty big. Now, I don't know what it is about that particular name, but when they hear it, when they hear Tonawanda, especially little kids, they want to add a letter. They want to add a D. They, they want to pronounce it Tondawanda. Tondawanda. And as a little guy, that's exactly what I did. I thought I lived in North Tondawanda, New York. 
it's hard to say wrong. I mean, North Tondawanda. So I called my hometown North Tondawanda. And I'm not sure why, but for some reason, when I was little, my parents felt this strong need to correct this bad habit. It was time to fix this thing. Our hometown had a newspaper called the Tondawanda News. Now, for those of you kids out there, back in the day, kids would actually earn money by delivering newspapers. It was pretty cool. The Tonawanda News was an evening newspaper. And shortly after school, bundles of papers would be delivered to paper boxes. They were about this high, this wide, and they'd just sit there and they'd put the bundles on inside of these paper boxes. The, the bundles were about 100 papers in all, and they were wrapped in wire. And paper boys, sorry, yeah, they were boys, paper boys would go to the paper boxes. They would grab their bundle, and they would either take it home, or there on the spot, they'd start rolling up several of their papers, and they would put them in the, the canvas bag that they had slung over their shoulder. And for the next hour or so, they'd deliver their hundred-some papers. Almost every house got a newspaper. Then, once a week, you'd take this book, it was about this big, and it was full of sheets, and the sheets had little squares on them, and you'd go collecting. You'd, you'd collect for the papers you delivered. The paper for a week used to cost 90 cents. A lot of people give you a buck, 10 cent tip, woo! And now, because of our proximity to Canada, some weasels tried to pay in Canadian quarters. This, this was bad news at one point. I mean, a Canadian quarter was worth like 17 cents. It was like play money. So we'd actually have to look at the quarters and kindly refuse the play money and ask for real money in exchange. So back to my Tondawanda problem. Michael Crispin was a kid who lived across the street. He was about 10 years older than me, and he delivered the paper when I was little. The paper box was out in front of his house, across the street from our living room. It was a black wooden box, and right across the front, they had the words printed, Tonawanda News. So again, I'm not sure what provoked it, but one night, my mom and dad decided it was time for Dennis to see the light. They took me to the window, and we stood and stared at the paper box. One of them asked, what does the box say? I said, Tonawanda News. They said, look again, spell it out, T. O-N-A-W-A-N-D-A. What does that spell? Tondawanda. Where's the D, they asked. Hmm, I'm thinking on the inside. The D must be silent. You know, there's something going on here. (laughs) Sound it out. Go ahead. Tondawanda. Now, my dad is not the most patient man. By this point, frustration is starting to build. Not only is frustrating build, frustration building, but I'm starting to have this aha moment. There is no D. There just is no D. It is not Tondawanda. It's Tondawanda. But I'm pretty dug in here. My reputation as a six-year-old scholar is on the line, right? I knew by now it was Tondawanda, not Tondawanda, but I refused to give in. That's it. I'm sticking with this. I continued to argue. I think I even started to insist that I could see a D. I'm not kidding. The event ended in an impasse. My parents walked away in frustration, not exactly sure why their fairly smart son was so plain dumb. I wonder, do you ever have these moments that you look back at at a childhood moment, back when you were a kid, and and you look at that little kid, and, and you want to just go stand right next to them as a big person. You want to stand there, and you want to give that little guy or that little girl some advice. 
I'd love to stand there next to him and say, come on, Dennis. You can see there's not a D in that word. Just say, oh, you're right. It's Tanawanda. Just let it go. Do it. I try to get into that little kid's head. Why did he insist on standing his ground long after he knew he was wrong? As I've thought about that event through the years, I realized something about me as a little kid. It is not so much that I needed to be right, but I had a huge need to not be wrong. It bothered me that I might be wrong. And that's really a horse of a different color, isn't it? There was something in me that was unwilling to admit the fact I was wrong. Reminds me of the Fonz. I know, it's like 70s day, right? You remember Fonzie from Happy Days? What was the phrase he couldn't get to drop from his lips? I was, he couldn't say the word wrong. I have to wonder if the need to be right is not embedded in the fear of being wrong. When we are wrong, we are exposed. And when we are exposed, we are uncomfortable. And so we cover up. Like Adam and Eve, we quickly grab for the fig leaves, even if the leaf is simply insisting that there is a D sound where there is no letter D. Why is it that we resist being wrong? Would it be the worst thing? The worst thing to say, whoops, I goofed. I I made a mistake. I got that one wrong. Would we melt? Would we explode? Would Would we spontaneously combust? The way some of us hold on to our righteousness, you would think that the possibility of being wrong is a fatal flaw. It would lead to our death. I suspect this fear of being wrong is embedded in some early experiences in which being wrong was just seen as not acceptable. Maybe we had a parent who insisted on perfection or a sibling who picked the flesh off of us every time we messed up. Maybe there was a moment of public embarrassment. I'm not sure why, but the idea of being wrong led to an obsessive need to be right. It's not too long into human history that we, had a fi- that we find a guy who had a need to be right, who hated being wrong. In Genesis chapter 4, that should say 4, I'm wrong and I admitted it. Um, and I made the slide and it's not Tandawanda. Okay. In Genesis chapter 4, the first verse, we read, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve. She became pregnant. She gave birth to Cain and she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother, and they named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, Cain became a cultivator of the ground. Two kids, two career paths, both food providers. One brought the meat, the other the fruit and vegetables. Keep going. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. The best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, this part is confusing on the surface for a few reasons. To this point in the Bible, no instruction has really been given on religious practices, right? Uh, Nothing about sacrifices or anything like that. Exodus to Deuteronomy is still to come, and the law is laid out there. So we don't have instruction up to this point in the Bible on on the right sacrifices. It might seem as if God is not a very good parent. He seems to chastise Cain without having told him what he needed to do. How exasperating for a child to have to guess what a parent wants rather than being told what they want. 
How was Cain supposed to know that his gift from the ground was not acceptable as a sacrifice? Well, we have to understand this. Some instruction on God's desire must have been revealed prior to the giving of the law. Remember, for example, Abraham. When, when, he, when he gives a tenth of his battle spoils to the priest Melchizedek, he, he knows to give a tithe to a priest long before the writing of Exodus. Somehow, somehow he knew that. For that matter, there's a priest named Melchizedek long before the priestly line of Aaron is established. You see, just because the Bible does not lay out the details in this particular chapter does not mean that God had not given instruction that had been clearly relayed as to what kind of sacrifice was pleasing to God. Cain did what so many of us do who have the need to be right. He decided to do it his way. He was going to do it his way. He offered a self-styled sacrifice. One that was pleasing to himself, and he figured if it pleases me, it will please God as well. And God's rejection of his sacrifice leads to his anger and to dejection, which ironically is what happens a lot of times for people who have the need to be right. They get angry and they feel dejected when it is exposed that they've been wrong. So let's keep going. Verse 6. Again, this is chapter 4. Why are you angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Two things to see here. First is this pattern on the part of God. We've already seen it a bit here in the book of Genesis. And it's beautiful instruction. It's a beautiful example on parenting as well as mentoring. God asks questions. He's not an all-out accuser. He knew why Cain was mad. He knew why Cain looked dejected. And yet, God doesn't just say, here's why you're mad. He doesn't come out and say, here are your motives. Here are the reasons You see, I guess the question is, did Cain know? Did Cain know why he was mad? Did Cain know why he was dejected? And so God wisely uses questions, not to learn information for himself, but to reveal the thoughts and intents of Cain's heart to Cain. We need to use more questions. Rather than jumping right to the assignment of motive or exposing a wrong action, ask questions. Let the person walk through it and learn from the circumstance. Get to the next part. He, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. In sud- incredibly subtle wording here. We don't want to miss it. There is a difference between right being and right action. God places the emphasis here on action. On action. He says, do what is right. If you don't do what is right, if you refuse to do what is right, he's talking about action. But see, when it comes to this need to be right and the fear of being wrong, something inside of us equates doing right with being right and doing wrong with being wrong. And so for a lot of people, when they do something wrong, they think it's really calling out their fundamental nature as just a bad, unworthy person. And ironically, sometimes when we do the right things, we have a tendency to feel a self-righteousness that should not be assigned there either. God says, do the right thing. It's important that you do the right thing. Here Cain reveals 
an underlying issue for the moments that we have the need to be right. Somewhere along the line, we received the message that our wrongdoing makes us a wrong being. Doing the wrong thing does not mean that there is something fundamentally wrong with you, that you need to be thrown away, that your life is worthless. Maybe it was excessive name-calling on the part of a parent or an adult authority figure. Dummy, you're stupid, what a loser. How can anybody be such an idiot? Perhaps like Cain, it was a comparative situation. You had a sibling who was smarter. They always got the A's, literally and figuratively. And no matter how hard you tried, you could never, ever, ever be as good as them. Maybe you just grew up in an environment where it was not safe to be wrong, to make a mistake, to, make, to mess up. Perhaps you're still in that situation, in your job, in your family, with your friends. It might be a moment or moments of extreme embarrassment. Called in front of the class to work out a problem on the board, and the mistake was public and others mocked it. Our hearts start to cement the notion that when we do something wrong, it impacts not only my actions, but my being, my essence, my existence. I am wrong. I am a mistake. I am a problem. So we strive to be right. We have the need to be right. We know from the verses that follow, rather than changing his action... Cain decides to eliminate the competition. His anger and dejection are so consuming that it leads him to murder his brother and bury him in the sand. We read those words. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. I believe that the the need to be right, the need to be right creates in us a fear of exposure. If people see me doing something wrong, I will be exposed for the fraud I really am. I was telling our guys group recently about my college Greek professor. This guy, he was really, really smart. You know, the kind of person whose brain's so heavy that his head tilted to one side. I mean, really, really smart guy. As a student, uh, I was a, a master of the system, not necessarily a master of the material. And those of you who are smiling know exactly what I mean. I knew how to take tests. And in most classes, that's all I needed, to know how to take a test. I knew how to get an A, but believe me, I was far from genius. I sat in that Greek class in dread fear of being exposed. I couldn't fake it. I couldn't master the test style. I had to know the material. And this guy knew the material inside and out. He, knew, he would know what I knew, and he would very well know what I did not know with just a few words. People with the need to be right fear exposure. They might be found out. People will see me as a fraud. So they lie, they deceive, they cover, they obfuscate, they dig in, even when they know there is no D in Tanawanda. Maintaining righteousness matters to them. God warns Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. This is the message for all of us when the need to be right overtakes us. We have a choice. We can do what is right or we can refuse Sin wants to control us, 
but we must subdue it. So how do we subdue this need to be right? Well, we need to face a simple truth. We need to accept this reality. Sometimes you get it right, and sometimes you get it wrong. And it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to get it wrong. It's human to get, get it wrong. Mistakes are part of the human condition. And getting it wrong does not mean that your fundamental essence, your being, is wrong. We find ourselves on a path to growth when we can embrace this reality. Sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it wrong. Am I okay with that? Am I okay that sometimes I get it wrong? There's a great chapter in a book by um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's the book called When People Grow. The chapter is entitled, Water from a Deeper Well, Spiritual Poverty. They, they offer a simple one-line definition of spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is experiencing the reality of our condition. What is the reality of our condition? As humans who are not God, as humans who are sin-filled and fallen, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. And we have to ask, can I be okay with that? The need to be right is based not on spiritual poverty, but on an unrealistic expectation. It is rooted in the delusion that getting it right every time is attainable. It is also rooted in the fear that being wrong will be our undoing. The passage Brian read earlier today is the prime passage in the Bible on spiritual poverty. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, many translations call this the poor in spirit. I really like this translation though. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. It's not just the realization of our deficiency, that, that there's something that we lack, but it's the realization of his sufficiency. My lack is met in God's fullness. My lack is met in Christ's sacrifice. According to Cloud and Townsend, one key ingredient is vital if we are going to move into spiritual poverty, and that is honesty. We just have to be honest the person who has the need to be right is not being honest about their condition. That simple condition that sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it wrong. Take that honesty a step further. It's not just honesty about being poor. It's honesty about my need for God. I am completely dependent on Him. We think we need to be right. We think we, we need to be seen as smart. But what we really need is more of Him. Why do we fear being wrong? With God, get this, with God, it is safe to be wrong. It is safe. It is safe to be wrong. It really comes down to this. We tie our identity too close to getting it right or messing up and not closely enough to our relationship with God. And that is where our relationship needs to be grounded. Not too long ago, I had the opportunity to spend some time with a friend who's a pastor not in the area you don't know him, so don't even try to guess. And we're sitting together talking, and he's talking about his path as a pastor, and he's just being really, really, really honest. And he's saying, you know, most days I just, I feel like a complete and total failure. I screw up all the time, and I feel like everybody in the room knows it. And the more I walk, the more exposed I feel, 
the more embarrassed I feel. I work harder and harder and harder, and I mess up more and more and more, and I just don't know what to do. And as we were talking, I, my, my mind was drawn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, where David says these beautiful words about the Lord being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And as that passage continues to build, he says, the Lord, the Lord is like a father to his children. Now, I know that that's tough for some of us because our minds go straight to our father and say, ugh. The Lord is like a perfect father to his children. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Some of you have five-year-olds. You're having a lot of fun with that. I would hope you would not say to your five-year-old, hey, brat, time for you to go to work. We need more money around this house. Get you a job. Get you working. I'm not talking about paper route. I'm talking you'd be the editor of the paper. Come on. <laughs> Go down to the trib right now. Here they're selling that Sun Times thing. Maybe you can run that. You, you, of course, you're not going to do that to your five year old. You, you know what you can expect of a five year old. God knows what he can expect of you. You expect more of you sometimes than God expects of you. You expect more rightness of you than God expects of you. He knows how weak we are, he remembers we are only dust. So I said to my friend, What does God expect of people? who are made of dust. Two things. Mud pies and dirty handprints. <laughs> I mean, if you're dust, the best work you can do is a big old sloppy mud pie and muddy handprints all over the place. And you know what's amazing? As the parent of a five-year-old, a kid brings you a mud pie and you grab your fork. Like, this is the best thing I've ever had. Now, you don't eat it, of course. You do the old go to the side of the face, you know, but, but not, you're like, thank you, that's beautiful. Do you get that when you make a mud pie, God goes, best pie I've ever had? Because it's from you. Because what he's all about is this relationship with you. You keep thinking if you could just be a little writer, you'd be acceptable to God. You keep thinking that if you could just wash away the dirt yourself, you'd be acceptable to God. And God's saying, I know what to expect of a person made of dust. My son did the work. My, my son is the reason you're, you're allowed to be here. <laughs> so start leaning more into your identity in Christ and less into your identity of being right all the time, which, by the way, you're not. Sorry to break it to you. Or being wrong all the time, which, by the way, you're not. Sorry to break that to you as well. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. So right now, go ahead. Let's, let's just be conscious of entering into the presence of God once again. And I'm going to ask you a question. What would be like to make a mistake and relax. What would it be like to make a mistake and go, oh well. What would it be like to not have to be right? 
Look into the eyes of God right now. He sees your muddy, grubby five-year-old hands. You've been out making mud pies for him. And he is looking at you and he is smiling. He wants you to relax. Now this isn't about just giving yourself a free pass. It's about knowing that our perfection is found in Jesus. Our forgiveness is found in Jesus. We can't work this thing up ourselves. It's all found in him. So relaxing God the Father because of Jesus Christ. God, as we move into this next week, for those of us for whom this is a real need, and I suspect to some degree it is there for all of us, especially in certain circumstances, but for those of us that, that this is a need, I pray that we would, in the process of making a mistake this week, for the first time be able to throw our head back and laugh. Laugh at ourselves, laugh with others. Instead of getting angry and dejected, Mud pies. Mud pies. You love them. And even more, you love the mud pie makers. The people made of dust. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so take your dirty hands and... Pull out your folder, and on the inside there's this wonderful card. Servers are moving to the back so that they can collect the offering in a minute. Brian's coming up here too. I have one, one thing to ask you about, and I know we're moving into Memorial Day weekend, another thing I used to say wrong. Anyway, we're moving into Memorial Day weekend, and um, we want to we go ahead and do a little bit of work around here to get, get ready for the invasion of children that are about to come of our way. We have... Uh, Shanahan potatoes laying in places that could easily be weaponized, you know, things like that. We have some, some mounds of dirt that need to be leveled a bit. Yeah, we don't need any imitations of David and Goliath with our kids. So, so what we're looking at doing is maybe like Friday night and then again Saturday morning. Um, if you, you want to come out and just be part of a work day that I got to admit is going to be, it's going to be a little bit harder work. You know what I mean? This isn't, this isn't we're going to pick bouquets of dandelions, okay? We're gonna, they're going to be some hoeing and things like that. But if, if you'd be willing to do that, just go ahead and put your name on, on the back of the card, or put it on the back of the card that you, we'd like the name on the front. There's a slot for name. Got that? And a way to contact you. Email is great or a phone number. And on the back say, sure, love to do the work thing and, and indicate whether Friday night or Saturday morning would work better for you. I'll be here both times. I love picking Shanahan potatoes. So for those of you that don't know what a Shanahan potato is, ask someone. So anyway, um, have that ready to go. Our servers are coming right now. So come on forward. And as they do, Brian, today is the last day for something really important. What is that? Yeah, midnight tonight, uh, we have our price increase for Green Lake. So we are up over 80 people already, which again, is just Phenomenal. Uh, I'm so excited for what that means for the work that we can get done uh, and the relationships that we can build up there. Uh, but if you have, if you are a high schooler or a junior higher, again, entering sixth grade in the fall, 
or leaving for college in the fall, any, or anywhere in between, uh, really would love you to get signed up today. If you have a friend that you've been thinking about inviting on this trip, make sure that you call them and say, go to southfieldchurch.com, news and events, go to Green Lake and get signed up today, uh, because again, the price jumps uh, at midnight tonight. So again, we have spots available, um, but we need you to get signed up today. Very good. I don't really like the habit of going through and literally reading you everything. The, the center column is where all the important life happens, the, the news that's really the freshest of news. And uh, there's another last opportunity, and that is that if you're, if you're planning on being a, a volunteer for Quest, for day camp, uh, there's a form that you need to fill out in order to go ahead through the process of being accepted into, into uh, a role with, with Quest. And, and that's found online. That, that second announcement tells you how that's done. But the deadline for doing that is here. So you need to get those filled out. Uh, make sure if, you, if that's news to you, read that. You could talk to Tristy about that today or to Lisa or Jaron. One of them will make sure to, to get you the information that you need. Um, Along with that, you see at the very bottom, we've gone ahead and got a, a gift registry together. It's the only way you can really go about this. But there are just a number of items needed for camp. And some of you love getting involved in, in supplying items. And so if you look at that, there's a, there's a wish list at, at walmart.com that you can go ahead and, and figure out what part could you have in going ahead and purchasing some items. And we did it through a wish list so that you'd know, you know, instead of having 27 of something and now we've got to return 26 of them, it lets you know how many are left and that sort of thing. So make sure you take advantage of that. want to be clear again as to in terms of summer with, with our children. Uh, little kids, Southfield Little Kids goes all summer long. Both services offered just like normal. Uh, Southfield Big Kids, so these are our elementary school age children, uh, will only be offering Southfield Big Kids at the 9 o'clock service starting in June, and that's for June and July. So make sure you go ahead and read that one as well. Got a uh, quarter-life group starting here soon, quarter-life crisis. I love that. That's fantastic. So our 25s and unders are, are going to have, be having a small group that's starting on Tuesday. Make sure you get involved in that. Hopefully we have made you aware of everything that you need to be aware of, and if not, I don't know, ask somebody. So really, really glad you came today. I realize some of you had a little bit longer journey than others. Apparently, if you came from the north, you had a little bit of a complication at the Shanahan exit. Um, we're finally around Shanahan, moving up from dirt roads to actually pavement. And so uh, anyway, you might, be, you might want to be aware of that over the next couple of weeks of the summer. I, Sunday makes sense in terms of a day to shut down a ramp so that there's safety in terms of, of work and whatever. But that means that you might have to add an extra, I believe it would be about four minutes to your trip going down to Bluff and back up instead of around. I believe is the one going home okay? Do we know? Yes, okay. So going back north, you're going to be fine, but, but coming south, just be aware that it'll be a few weeks, and, and then that thing's going to be beautiful and glamorous. I'm, I'm sure they'll put a toll on there, 30 bucks, something like that, so <laughs> you're all good to go, okay? Why don't you stand? We're going to close in prayer. Father God, we're grateful that we could be here today in your house, and as we walk out of this place today, I pray that you will give us uh, the great freedom of mind and heart to make mistakes, to be able to live in the freedom of Jesus and not believe that there's some freedom in always, always, always being right. <laughs> Having to be right is slavery. It, it just, it makes us crazy. I pray that we would find freedom in you and freedom in Christ. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You enjoy your week. Great to see you.